back to the next um, podcast session. And um, today we have a US paper here. And together with me is um, a very special guest I want to introduce to you. It is Richard Friedman, and he's Chief of Shoulder and Elbow Surgery and Professor of Orthopedics in the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, United States. And uh, he has brought us a paper which is called Anatomic and Reverse Shoulder Arthroplasty Outcomes in Patients with an Intact Rotator Cuff and No Previous Surgery. And today with me is our SESEC expert Alex Ledermann from the Hospital de la Tour and the University of Geneva in, Geneva in Switzerland. And uh, many thanks that the two of you are here and we have the opportunity to discuss your paper, Richard, because it's very interesting because it's a lot of patients and it gets down to the question, what to do? Should we do an anatomic or in reverse in an rot intact rotator cuff uh, in patients with osteoarthritis? And you have a pretty big group. There's 370 pairs of patients for each group, as I have read, and they were matched for age, gender, BMI, follow-up, length of stay in hospital, and so on. And you compared it. Richard, what should we do? Should we do a reverse or better an anatomic? Could you give us some... Uh, review of what what you did in your study. Sure. So thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. So first of all, I don't have all the answers, but I think we're gaining knowledge as time goes on, and I think things are becoming a little more clear. So the genesis of this paper was talking to a lot of colleagues, and they would say, oh, my best anatomic is way better than my best reverse. And I would say, yeah, but you're not comparing apples and apples, right? Because The anatomic is done for one indication, osteoarthritis and tack rotator cuff, and the reverse is done for so many more indications that it's not a fair comparison. So I thought that we need to try and clarify this. And with the database that we have, we were able to pull out large numbers of patients and really look at this question and try and get an answer. So basically, it's a multi-center international database. We have anatomic shoulders. We have reverse shoulders. We have probably close to 8,000 patients in there now. So we're able to look up through the database and find the reverse shoulder arthroplasties that were done in patients that had intact rotator cuff, had diagnosis of osteoarthritis, and no previous surgery. And we're able to uh, narrow that down to 370 patients. We then looked at the anatomic group and tried to match it for, as you said, age, sex, BMI, length of follow-up. And we did a one-to-one -one match and got 370 patients to compare. So I thought this for the first time really gives us a true apples and apples comparison and lets us really try and answer this question. So again, all the patients had osteoarthritis and an intact rotator cuff and had no previous surgery. And so we were able to look at them and have um, comparisons both with five outcome metrics. We looked at the constant score, ASES score, SPADI, UCLA and SST. We also looked at full range of motion. We looked at active abduction, active forward elevation, internal and external rotation. We also looked at outcomes in terms of complications, adverse events. We looked at radiographic findings as well, although clearly between the anatomics and the reverses, there are going to be some different things we look at on the glenoid side, but at least the humeral side we can compare. And so the findings were sort of what I felt was going to be the outcome, but really it was more of a gut feeling just from my personal experience as time had gone on, but really found virtually no differences between the anatomics and reverses 
that had any statistical clinical significance with the one exception being active external rotation. And that was better in the anatomic group than the reverse group. The mean external rotation for the anatomics was 53 degrees compared to 38 degrees for the patients who had a reverse and that exceeded the MCID. However, I would submit to you that if you get 38 degrees of external rotation, you're doing very well. I'm not sure what activities you gain between 38 and 53 degrees. So while that's exceeding MCID, I'm not sure it's all that clinically relevant. So I think for the first time, we were able to demonstrate that the outcomes for reverses are very comparable to the outcomes for anatomics. Interestingly enough, we saw higher complication rates for the anatomics compared to the reverses, and that was statistically significantly different. And the revision rates were statistically similar, but the p-value is 0.08, so you might say if we had more numbers, more patients, it was training towards having a different, but we were able to show that. And of course, the paper wasn't really powered for that. So I would say in conclusion then, you know, the anatomics and the reverses appear to have similar clinical outcomes. One of the critiques we had was that, well, there's a selection bias, and I would agree with that. However, if you look at the paper, we found the reverses actually were worse off preoperatively. Okay, they had lower scores, they had worse motion, and that therefore speaks to the benefit the reverse provides because, in fact, the reverses started off in a worse situation and ended up at the same place that the anatomics did. So, if anything, that selection bias really helped. Um, the reverses, and again, the outcomes were similar. Um, we certainly had um, more glenoid bone deformity in the in the reverses, and that certainly may have been one of the things that would lead a surgeon to perform a reverse versus an anatomic. But having said that, again, starting off with either greater deformity, lower scores, or worse motion, they ended up at the same place that the anatomics did at the end of the day. Our mean follow-up was 41 months. We had minimal two-year follow-ups. I think that's fairly reasonable. Wonderful. Very interesting study. Alex, what, what do you think about that? So, Robert, thank you very much for the invitation. Uh, Richard, I would like to congratulate you for, for this study because this is a study I love. This is a study that answers quite a lot of uh, questions that I ask uh, myself uh, during my, my daily activity. Uh, when I came back from uh, a fellowship with Gilles Valch in 2018, my my boss said to me, you know, Alex, this reverse that you want to implant in every single shoulder, nobody will implant it anymore in five years. And th this was probably not a wishful thinking because today, and it's probably the same trend in US, more than 80% of the uh, prosthesis that we implant are reverse shoulder arthroplasty. So I really like the study. I think that even if for some um, some part that we should analyze, it's maybe underpowered. The number of patients is really great. And consequently, this is a clear relevant study um, that has been published until now. There, there were already previous publication in 2019 uh, by the the group of Saint Louis by the group of um, the Mayo Clinic and also the French group with Novejosro uh, in 2020 International Orthopedics that already show that there was not a lot of differences between the, the two prostheses and um, your, your study, even if it's not prospective and comparative, 
really confirm this first impression. So congratulations. Thank you. One question would be, um, Richard, I mean, this is this was extracted from a database. Correct. Um, what, what, what do you think? Would you have got different results if you would do a randomized process? My impression is no, but obviously I have no way to prove that. I just think that there is strength in numbers. And, you know, if this was a 20 or 30 or 40 patient study, I would, I would certainly agree that a randomized prospective study might provide you with different results. But 370 patients in each group, that's pretty strong um, evidence that I think you can rely on the data that's, that's present here. And you have said complications. Can you give us an impression what complications were that for the anatomic and for the reverse side? So we actually published on this in JSES last year, looking at complications in reverses, complications in anatomic arthroplasties and what the incidences are. So in the anatomics, the number one complication is rotator cuff failure, rotator cuff tearing. Number two is aseptic glenoid loosening. And number three is usually infection. In the reverses, the number one complication tends to be scapular um, or acromial spine fractures, uh, followed by instability and unexplained pain. So those were the uh, main complications that occurred. And again, they're very different based on the prosthesis that you have. And in your study, what complications did you see? Were they similar to that what is, has been published or did they differ somehow? No, they, they were similar. They were similar. What I find really interesting is that, you know, over the past 10 years, I've always had a 180 degree change in the way of thinking. So it always comes up now, what age group should you do an anatomic? What age group should you do a reverse? We know if you do an anatomic, cemented, all polythene glenoid, a young patient, in 20 years, that glenoid is, is radiographically loose, right? There was an excellent paper published by Evans in JSES last year that followed a number of Aquila's shoulders 20 years. And at 20 years, 100% of the glenoid components were loose. And even more interestingly, 83% had evidence of rotator cuff failure. So we sort of know that's the natural history. Now, again, that patient population was a bit older, but we know that 20 years, 25 years maybe, that glenoid is going to be loose and you're going to have to go back into revision. If we're looking at the survivorship now for reverses, you know, once you get ingrowth of that base plate, it's kind of like a press fit, porous coated acetabular cup in a total hip or, or the femoral stem. Once that ingrows, short of having an infection or a fracture, that seems to be going to last for a lifetime, right? It just doesn't seem good. So it may be in point of fact that in younger patients, we should be thinking about doing reverses because it's going to last. And what may wear over time would be the polyethylene liner. And you certainly go in there and change that out without changing the metal components. So it may be the more conservative procedure in a younger patient may be a reverse. If they can get similar outcomes and have similar expectations in terms of activity level, pain relief and function. But clearly that's a bit of a radical idea right now, but over the next five or 10 years, we may see things trending that way. And Alex, tell me, in your experience, are you still doing anatomics or in, or are you only uh, sticking with the reverse? It's a good point. So um, I asked myself the, the same question years ago, and I began a prospective comparative and randomized study, anatomic versus reverse. Uh, this is also a multicentric study. Not a lot of people are participating. So for the moment, I don't think that we have more than... 50 uh, patients that are involved. Uh, 
enrolled. However, I already do quite a lot of reverse and the few number of patients that should deserve an anatomic are now in my practice divided by two because they are randomized and half of them have a reverse. So I have to admit that the number of anatomic that I'm doing today is really low due to this prospective comparative study. Um, I have in my own hands the same experience. So we are we are all experienced the same that we did a lot of anatomics and then we went back and did almost only reverses. But right now I would like to ask you the question, what do you think about the new stemless anatomics with full metal glenoids with a reversed um, combination? So a full metal glenoid and a polyethylene head which means that the fixation of the um, glenoid component is pretty robust and also very um, very tight in the bone. And um, I'm questioning this sometimes if the pendulum, which we've seen in the reverse, so we're doing most of them are reverse we do, but if the pendulum is not swinging a little bit back to the anatomics with the full metal glenoids, what do you think about that, Richard? So... I'm old enough to remember the first generation of metal back glenoids, and they were not very successful. Um, now, there were technical issues, there were manufacturing issues, and maybe we've overcome those. But I think at this point in time, I've not seen enough data to make me comfortable putting in a full metal backed glenoid component. Now, the middle ground here is these so-called hybrid glenoids we have now, right? So I think we're talking about two different things. So the hybrids, to me, there is some type of metal backing with a post and some pegs, but you've got um, the polyethylene um, and the metal are welded together. To me, that's different than, an, than a true metal-backed glenoid component where it's a base plate with screw fixation or a post, and then the polyethylene liner snaps on. So I'm not a big fan of the metal-backed glenoid components, but we're studying and looking at the hybrid ones. And so far, getting out to about eight to 10 years, we're about to publish on this, We're seeing good survivorship. We're seeing four times less the instance of radiolucent lines. Now, whether that translates into longer survivorship remains to be seen, but it certainly is an area that we're studying very carefully. I was meaning the um, full metal glenoids were also the, um, the, the, mat, the back is metal, plus the glenoid as a component itself is also metal. And the head, the humeral head is from polyethylene. So this is a maybe a little bit different concept because everything is fr from metal on the glenoid side and the humerus is poly side. Okay, but this is a completely different topic, but sometimes I was thinking maybe the pendulum is going back because these glenoids seem to be pretty robust. But just that's just an impression. There's not enough data to state that. So um, are you doing any anatomical then? So what's, what's the indication left for an anatomic? So, so that's a great question. So back in 2004, when the reverse first became available in the United States, if I went to give a talk, I would put up a slide for the indications, and there'd be one indication, right? Massive rotator cuff tear with osteoarthritis. Over time, the indications expanded. So the first slide filled up. I went to a second slide. Then I went to a third slide. So the indications were just numerous. I've now flipped it around. I have a single slide. And what I do is I talk about the indication for an anatomic and everybody else gets a reverse, okay? So for me, a patient's going to get anatomic is relatively young, and that's clearly still a moving target, is relatively healthy, 
Okay. And that can be defined in a number of ways, but for example, a dialysis patient to me is not relatively healthy. Uh, They have diagnosis of osteoarthritis. They have an intact rotator cuff. They've had no previous open surgery for either instability or cuff repair and they have no significant glenoid deformity. And again, that could vary how you define significant. So for me, those are the six criteria. And if I have a patient who meets that, I will then consider an anatomic arthroplasty in that patient. Everybody else gets a reverse. And that's how I've evolved now over the past 20 years. Richard, I have a question for you. Uh, in my practice with the reverse, there are two complications that are not completely solved. The first one is internal rotation hand in the back, and the second one is scapular, fi- scapular spine fractures. And for internal rotation hand in the back, you demonstrated that um, people had the same internal rotation. Obviously, there was a slight improved external rotation um, with the anatomic, and I agree with you. This is not, this is maybe statistically significant, but I'm not sure that this is clinically relevant. But for internal rotation, why the the patients that have an anatomic don't have a better internal rotation hand in the back in, in, in your group? So I'm not sure I have the answer, but I could give you a couple of thoughts. I think that part of it depends on what you're comparing it to. So I think that I should just point out that the results we have in this study, we had the same implant, the same prosthesis. And this is one with a medially based center of rotation, the glenoid and laterally based center of rotation, the humeral side. So this may not apply to all different designs, right? Not all gleno- not all reverses are the same. And I also think that the type of implant that you have affects the amount of internal rotation that you, do, you, do, uh, you actually get. So it may not be that the anatomics didn't do very well, but it may be that the reverses did better than some other designs, such as the original Grammont. I also think that, you know, it may be a little bit different in the United States versus Europe, I think, and I know my own patient base, you know, patients are motivated to a certain point and some people, if they can get their hand to their back pocket and their belt loop, they're happy with that. Other people may want to get up a little bit higher. So I think a lot of it just depends on on patient motivation, what their activities are, what their demands are, and what they want to try and achieve from it. And just for the audience, what is the next shaft angle that you use? Uh, 145. And Richard, in the reverse you did, did you do, because you had some more um, retroversion of the glenoid and posterior subluxation, did you do any um, bone augmentation or base plate augmentation for the reverses? Yes. So if I remember correctly, the um, incidence of augments was about 14% for the anatomics and was about 37% for the reverses. So augments were used. And again, that just reflects the fact that the Reverse patients had greater deformity, which is probably why the surgeon chose to use the reverse in the patient who had intact rotator cuff, no previous surgery, but felt that given the degree of glenoid deformity, they opted for the reverse. And again, having more posterior subluxation, having more glenoid deformity, a little over one third of the reverse patients having an augment, they still had outcomes similar, both for the outcome metrics and the range of motion compared to the anatomic patients. Okay, so we're heading into the age of reverse. And um, maybe there will be still some anatomics uh, going around. And still, 
I think maybe we will see some of those full metals w walking around, but that's a different topic. Richard, I'm really glad that you found the time to present your study to us here in Europe. And we're always, um, yeah, we're glad when our U.S. colleagues uh, come here and give us some insights. I think the exchange over the pond is really great and I appreciate your time and uh, your study, which is wonderful. And Alex, many thanks um, for being here with us for this ESSEC. And I think, Richard, we will hear and read from your group again if uh, the, the follow-up is going to be longer, mid-term and long-term. And um, many thanks for you too and thank you for being here with us on the SESAC podcast thank you Richard thank you Robert thank you I always enjoy sharing thank you this was the interview on the paper anatomic and reverse total shoulder arthroplasty outcomes in patients with an intact rotator cuff and no previous surgery today with the first author of the study Professor Richard Friedman from the Medical University of South Carolina in Charleston, United States, and with my SESEC expert today, Alexandre Lederman from Geneva in Switzerland. I hope you enjoyed the show and I apologize for the voice. I had a bit of a cold these days, as you probably inevitably noticed, but that will certainly be better for the next program to which I would like to invite you already now. We will provide you with the latest advances in scientific knowledge from the shoulder and elbow universe on the SESEC podcast, the European Society for Shoulder and Elbow Surgery. My name is Robert Hudek and I hope you will tune in for the next session. Have a nice week. Bye bye.